On March 25th, 1861, Charles Spurgeon preached his first sermon in the Metropolitan Tabernacle. This was in London. And he preached from Acts 5.42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And here's what he said. It appears that the one subject which men preached in the apostolic age was Jesus Christ. I would propose that the subject of the ministry of this house, as long as this platform shall stand, as long as this house shall be frequented by worshipers, shall be the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the great message of Charles Spurgeon, it was the great message of George Whitfield. it was the great message of the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and of the prophets throughout the Old Testament. And so today we have reached our eighth principle of hermeneutics, which is redemption. Your notes are right here, and they'll stay there until I'm finished because I'm going to preach and I'm going to teach today without your notes in front of you. And then when we're finished, if you'd like, you can come and get the notes. There's six pages today. Here's the big idea. The big idea is that there is an accurate and honest way to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ from any text of Scripture. That's the big idea. Or you could say it another way. Christ may not be the central purpose of every text of Scripture. And though that's the case, he's not necessarily the central purpose of every text in Scripture. Ministers, preachers, pastors, missionaries of the gospel, and especially evangelists, and especially missionaries in this particular setting, where there is less gospel influence, it's lesser reach, more prosperity laden, We ought to strive to find a road to Jesus Christ in all of our preaching. Well, let's review a little bit. Soldier, we're preparing our sermon. Caleb, what's the S? Select the passage. All right, so you select the passage, and then the next thing, Bodinico, what do you do? Observe. Yes, you observe the buffalo. The L, Audrey, what would the L be? Link, you link or cross-reference, that's getting as many passages together as you can, as many cross-references as you can. The D would be, buddy Reg, divide Divide that passage, break it into pieces, easier for your people to handle. That way you don't give them the whole cow at the same time, you give them a piece of steak and you cut it into pieces so that they can swallow. And then I, we're kind of stuck on this one. In fact, we're not even going to get to the E and the R because next week's our last week and that's going to be E over here. I is, Audrey, interpret the passage and then we moved off to the side a little bit and looked at nine principles of interpretation or what is the technical term that is generally used for the interpretation of Scripture? What do we call that? Hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. 
right? Even Paul was called Hermes in the New Testament because he was viewed as the one who interpreted what the gods were saying. And then when we come to interpretation, we gave nine principles. What's the first one? Sush, the S. Illumination, salvation, spirit. We need a new heart. We need new eyes to understand. Caleb asked me the other day, what's the most important uh, principle of interpretation? I'm going to go with S. I think you said besides S though, right? Besides conversion, I'm probably just going to go with the next one, which would be context. And if I had to choose a third one, it would probably be the next one, which is cross-reference. Maybe we can just go in a row here. C is... Context, right? And it's not only the context of the passage itself, and boys back there, even though I praised you before, I'm not afraid to rebuke as well. So you need to be paying attention. I'm going to ask you some questions. C is not only context in the passage itself, but even the cultural context that they're in. R, Colin. What does the R stand for? The third principle of interpretation. Nathan? <laughs> that is what I'm going to do to you right now is rebuke because that is not correct. Anyone else? R. Caleb? References, right? Cross references, analogy of faith. Number four or the I would be identified prescriptive and descriptive text. The P would be pictures or figures of speech. The T is testaments, progressive revelation, U is usage, and today we've come to Christ, which is redemption. If you don't know how to solve a quote-unquote problem in the scriptures, let's say you come to a passage and you say, I don't even know how to put these together. Listen, if you come to a problem, and you're going to face this more often, Caleb, than your father does, because you're younger and you're still learning, if you come to a problem in the scriptures, don't be afraid to acknowledge it. Don't be afraid to say, you know what? I, I don't know the answer. I don't know what the answer is. Acknowledge it. But don't be afraid that just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean it's unanswerable. And if we become skilled in these nine principles of interpretation, we'll be able to answer those particular conundrums that we can't answer right now, but with study we say, Caleb says, you know what? Let me come back to you on that. That's a good question. And then he gets his Bible and he applies those methods of interpretation. For example, someone comes to Colin and says, How do you put Leviticus 24 together where it says a tooth for a tooth and an eye for an eye? How do you put that together with Matthew 3.39 and turn the other cheek? Hey, tooth for a tooth, man. You knock out a tooth, you lose your own tooth. But over here it says you get hit in the cheek, turn the other cheek. Ooh, principles of interpretation. Or what do you do with the sword in Romans 13, that the, the authority wields the sword, but then Matthew 5 says to love your neighbor. Ooh, how do you put those together? Or, capital punishment, Genesis 9, 6. 
Put that together with don't murder in Exodus 20.13. Or justification is not by works, Romans 3, but it is by works, James 2. Man, these, these are hard questions. And I want to say, if you face these, and there are hundreds more like that, when you face those, don't be afraid to acknowledge it and just say, I don't know, but I'm learning how to study my Bible. That's what Bodhisattva and I are trying to teach you. If we try to cram all of the what into you, we don't have enough time for that. But if we teach you the how, that's why my best favorite teacher in college, he was my favorite teacher because he, he gave us the how, how to study, how to preach, how to put things together, how to interpret. He was one of the first teachers I had who taught me how. He taught me a lot of what. I want to focus on the how. Well, those are the principles of interpretation. We've come to the second to last one, which is Christ or redemption. I'd like to give eight guidelines today, eight guidelines of preaching Christ in Scripture. Christ-centered preaching, seeing Christ throughout the whole Scripture. I don't think it's only a homiletical idea, which is Christ-centered preaching. I think it's hermeneutical as well and helps us to interpretation Scripture. So let me give you eight guidelines to this. Number one, first guideline. Remember that the whole Bible points to Christ. There's the first guideline. The whole Bible points to Christ. And I'd like to give you one, two, three, four, four ways to prove that particular point. The whole Bible points to Christ. Number one, the whole Bible points to Christ because... The Old Testament as a whole speaks of Christ. Let's, we're going to go to lots of passages today. So let's go to the first one, Luke 4. We're going to go to five passages to show that the Old Testament as a whole speaks of Christ. We're going to go to three in Luke and two in John. First one, Luke 4, 18 through 21. I'll pull out just one section of those. Luke 4, 18 through 21 says this today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is Jesus speaking, quoting an Old Testament passage. And Jesus was referring to a passage in Isaiah that was written long before he was born, Isaiah 61. He says that passage long before I arrived that passage was speaking about me, and it's, it's fulfilled in me. Go to Luke 24, 25 through 27. As you're turning there, I'll read it. Luke 24, 25 to 27. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into the, his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them, this is Jesus now, in all the scriptures, the things concerning whom? Himself. Himself. 
Let me just go to the Old Testament and point to you how this and this and this and this points to me, the Lord Jesus Christ. Or go a few verses later in Luke 24, verse 44. Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, I think when Jesus was said everything, I don't, Jesus was not saying everything as in every single verse in the Old Testament speaks about Jesus. I think all the scriptures or everything is defined in verse, all the scriptures in the previous verses in 25 through 27 or everything in verse 44 is speaking about the divisions of the Old Testament. The three major divisions of the Old Testament or the Old Testament as a whole leads up and points to the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that every single sentence, as we will see in a moment, every single sentence, the central passage, the central meaning is Jesus Christ. But the Old Testament as a whole is leading up to and points to Jesus Christ. John 5.39. Jesus says the Old Testament scriptures bear witness of me. Or John 5.46. For he, that is Moses, wrote of me. Me there is Jesus, right? Listen to what Gibson has said. He said, to preach an Old Testament text as a rabbi would preach it. That is a rabbi who holds to the Old Testament but is not a Christian. Would in fact be a betrayal of the gospel. We must not hint or imply more in the text than is there. But Christ, the Messiah, is the frame for the picture of redemption. Charles Spurgeon said this, preach Christ always and evermore. He is the whole gospel. His person, offices, and work must be our great, all-comprehending theme. And so first, when we're looking at our guidelines, remember that the whole Bible points to Christ. Number two. Actually, this is, this is underneath our main point. I gave the first reason because the, whole, the Old Testament as a whole speaks of Christ. Is the second reason underneath the main, first main point. Because the goal of the Holy Spirit is to draw attention to Jesus Christ. John 16, 14 says this. He will glorify me. On top of that, Paul himself was a Christ-centered Preacher, 2 Corinthians 4, 5, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Or 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In fact, we could say that the overarching idea or motif of the entire Old Testament is Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 4 says this, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Or Galatians 4 verse 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, that is, we were building up to this time. The time is coming. And when the fullness of the time had come, what happened? God sent forth His Son, Jesus. Galatians 4 4. So here's our conclusion of the first guideline. 
Jesus should be the center of our preaching ministry. I believe scripture teaches this. And our preaching should be Christocentric. It ought to be theocentric, which means God-centered. And if your preaching is Christocentric, it will be theocentric. But if it is theocentric, it doesn't necessarily mean it will be Christocentric. So let's make sure it is both. So our first one, our first guideline. Remember that the whole Bible points to Christ. Number two, here's the second guideline. Don't force Christ into being the point of every verse. Don't force Christ into being the point of every verse. Let me read three quotes. Man, how are you doing without your notes in front of you? Do you like this? You like your notes in front of you? Can I just say, this was never done in the past. This was not done in the past, and I think it's probably just because I'm not a good teacher, because printers and books were not as common. So they sat and took notes as the teacher lectured, but we're in a different era, aren't we? We're in 2021. All right, so I'll hand out your notes. And Sue, she can hand out some of these. Um, I think I made six or seven copies. Audrey, what? look at you, Audrey. You're the example. You're taking notes. And here's Sush in the front, pouty face that he doesn't have his notes. And there's Audrey in the back taking copious notes. Well done. All right, we are on page two. We're on page two. We're good. Yeah. Uh, letter B, don't force Christ into the point, uh, into be the point of every verse. Let me read three quotes from you. The first one's from Daniel Block. He said this, It is exegetically fraudulent to try to extract from every biblical text some truth about Christ. Not all passages speak of Christ. I think he's saying as the main point. Though all Old Testament texts play a significant role in God's redemption plan that leads to and climaxes in Christ. Here's Walt Kaiser. He says this, despite our approval of the fact that Christ is indeed the center of the Bible and that the redemption emphasis is strong in the scriptures, it is difficult, yea, impossible to lay the claim that our Lord Jesus must be found in every text of scripture, indeed, on every page. Now remember, going back to my main idea, my big idea, and that is this, it is accurate and it is honest to preach the gospel of Christ From every text of scripture, we're not denying that. Christ ought to be preached from every text of scripture. And it can be preached from every text of scripture. I don't think that's what Kaiser and Block are denying. Or listen to what Dale Ralph Davies says. He says, quote, All parts of the Old Testament testify to the Messiah in his suffering and glory. But I do not think... Jesus is saying every Old Testament passage or text bears witness to him. Jesus did not say that every passage spoke of him. And I think to clarify that, 
He's saying directly. Jesus did not always use the Old Testament to bring the direct meaning to himself. Christ's goal was to point people to truth. So for example, when he spoke about divorce in Matthew 19, Jesus turned to Deuteronomy 24 to clarify the biblical perspective of divorce. Or when speaking about honoring parents in Matthew 5 verse 4, Jesus quotes Exodus 20 to talk about parental respect. He didn't go to some Christological passage. Or when speaking about loving neighbors in Mark 12.31, Jesus quotes Leviticus 19.18 to show love for others. Or when speaking of marriage in Matthew 19, he quotes Genesis 2.24 to define matrimony. So I don't think Jesus every time to speak every truth had to somehow point to himself. I think it was a misleading quote that Al Mohler gives here on page 3. He says, quote, every single text of scripture points to Jesus Christ. And if we take this at its very best, I don't necessarily disagree with it, but it could be misleading. From Moses to the prophets, he is the focus of every single word of the Bible. Every verse of scripture finds its fulfillment in him, and every story in the Bible ends with him. Could be misleading. I would say not every Old Testament or New Testament text has a Christocentric meaning. That is, they don't always speak directly of Christ. For example, and sometimes this intimidates people when preaching through Proverbs because they say, I want to preach wisdom. And of course, there's, we ought to find Christ going through the Proverbs. But how do I find Christ as the central meaning of this particular proverb teaching about watching our tongue? For example, Proverbs rarely speaks of Christ directly, if at all, because the purpose is to encourage young people to live wisely, Proverbs 1. Uh, The majority of Old Testament quotations in the New Testament come from just a handful of books. Strange indeed if every Old Testament passage speaks of Christ. If every Old Testament passage speaks of Christ or directly of Christ, then why do the majority of Old Testament quotations in the New Testament come from just a handful of books? If you find the footnote at the bottom, I thought this was an interesting statistics. 87.8% of Old Testament quotes in the New Testament come from only seven Old Testament books. What is amazing is how few quotes, if any, come from 32 of 39 Old Testament books. If Christ is to be preached from every Old Testament book passage, one would expect significantly more Old Testament quotes in the New Testament where Christ is mentioned approximately 529 times and Jesus is used approximately 917 times. So here's our conclusion from this one. Don't be forced or intimidated into seeing Christ in every single verse of the Old Testament or of the Bible because you think the, Old, the New Testament supposedly teaches this. Key passages of Christ-centered preaching teach that Christ is seen in many places and in every major section of the Old Testament. Beware of making the main theme of every Old Testament text directly related to Christ. Okay, here's our third principle, our third guideline. Use the proper road to get to Jesus. So we don't only want to know 
where to go, but we want to know how to get there. We don't only want to know we need to preach Christ, but we want to know how to preach Christ. Because what's the point if we're preaching Christ, but we're doing it the wrong way? So we want to get to Christ, but we want to get to Christ in the right way. Getting to the right place in the wrong way is no way to study God's holy book. Spurgeon, for example, was the prince of preachers. But his counsel to, quote, jump over highways and hedges to get to Christ was, again, misleading. I don't say wrong, because if he was being poetic to say, we need to preach Christ constantly, amen. That's why we started with his quote in our lecture today. But if he was saying, do whatever you have to, valid or invalid, to get to Christ, not good. The right hermeneutical method is crucial. So let's make sure we get there in the right way. Uh, Gradonis has an excellent book called Preaching Christ from the Old Testament. And he gives six ways to get to Christ. So here's Pastor Nlungu. He's preaching an Old Testament passage, maybe a New Testament passage. He says, I want to preach on Christ. Of course, if we're preaching from Isaiah 53, perhaps the greatest gospel message in the Old Testament, that's easy. If you're preaching from Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium, okay, that's easier. Psalm 22, that's easier. Messianic passage, that's easier. Genesis 15.6, that's easier. The gospel accounts of the crucifixion, that's easier. But what do you do when you're in a passage that does not clearly point to Christ? How do you do that? Gradonis says, first, find the original point of the passage, and then he gives six guidelines of how to get to Christ. Let me give those to you. Here's the first one. He calls it the redemptive historical progression. And that is, show the history of redemption through the paradigm of creation, fall, redemption, new creation. That is, wherever you fall in that timeline, you have these major marks of the history of the Bible. Wherever they fall in that particular section, say, Look how it's building up to Christ. So the example I gave is the story of David and Goliath. Shows how not only Israel's deliverance, but it is a microcosm of Jesus' victory over Satan. Just as God gave a savior to Israel. I mean, this was a representation. Israel's main guy and the unbeliever's main guy. That's Goliath. And just as... God gave the victory to Israel's Savior. The ultimate Savior would be the Lord Jesus Christ. You take that particular point in history and then you point again ahead to the progression of Jesus Christ in the future. Letter B, promise fulfillment. That is, since God usually fills up his promises progressively, as we learned about progressive revelation, the preacher must move from the Old Testament prophet Promise to the New Testament fulfillment in Christ. So for example, you're in Genesis 3.15. What's going to happen? Someone's going to crush the head of the serpent. And the serpent is going to bruise the heel of Jesus Christ one day. You show how that's true. Or you look at the Messianic Psalms. Number three. Typology. Typology. I gave several examples there. 
during Israel's journey from Egypt, the rock was Christ. It specifically says this in 1 Corinthians 10.4. You're in the Old Testament. You're talking about the Passover lamb. Hey, that's easy to point to Christ, right? Because Jesus is called the lamb of God. Or you're in the Old Testament. You're looking at Abraham's he almost, near, he almost sacrifices his son Isaac. Hey, that's easy to point to a head in Hebrews 11 of Jesus Christ. Or how about Jonah in the whale? You point ahead to Matthew 12. Israel's rescue from Egypt, Matthew 2. Adam and Christ in Romans 5. Letter D, analogy. Analogy. This is applying the message of the Old Testament to the church today. It says, how was this Old Testament passage, or how is Israel's situation similar to our situation today? The preacher is looking for ways Christ teaches and works for the church in the same way he worked for Israel. For example... Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. How would you point to Christ from the Lord is my shepherd? Jesus is our shepherd. Or you're in Proverbs 2 verse 4. We're to seek wisdom like a hidden treasure. We could go to Colossians 2 verse 3 and say Christ is the hidden treasure of wisdom. Caleb? Good idea. Yeah. And we're going to get to the importance of the more we know our Bibles and the more we can make connections, the better Christ-centered preaching we will do. Next, New Testament references. The preacher should locate where the particular Old Testament passage is used to point to Christ in the New Testament. So, for example, you're preaching from Genesis 22, verse 2. That's used in the New Testament, John 3.16. You're preaching from Genesis 28.10. That's used in John 1.51, etc. The examples I gave. Next, contrast. Where is there a contrast? You say, you say, okay, I can see where there's similarities. Okay, here's Abraham. He's about to sacrifice Isaac. I can see how that's an analogy and I can see how that's pointing ahead to Christ. But what if there's no analogies? What if there's no similarities? Great. If there's no similarities and there's only contrast, then even use the contrast to point to Christ. For example, if a preacher is explaining Genesis 17, every male shall be sacrificed, then you can show how this is different from Acts 15 that says the burden of circumcision is no more. We don't have to be circumcised anymore because of what Christ has done. Or if you're preaching from Psalm 137 where it says, dash your children against the rocks. You can say that's totally different from Luke 6 where it says, bless those who curse you, the words of Jesus. Or Matthew 5.44, pray for those who persecute you. Or 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. So now you're showing the contrast, a way to get to Jesus Christ. So our conclusion should be how one gets to Christ in preaching is as important as getting to Christ in the first place. All right, here's a fourth guideline. 
we've done. Remember that the whole Bible speaks of Christ. Uh, Letter B was, don't force Christ into being the point of every verse. Next was, use the proper road to get to Jesus. Here's the fourth principle. Don't neglect other non-salvific doctrines. In other words, don't make every sermon evangelistic. It doesn't mean you ought not to evangelize, but don't make the central thrust always salvation if that's not the purpose. If the primary focus is always redemption or salvation, then too much emphasis will be put on the creativity of the preacher. Listen to what Mark Murphy says, quote, Every message preached from the Old Testament should not have Christ as its main point because Christ alone is not the whole counsel of God. We're told to preach the whole counsel of God. Listen to what Walt Kaiser says, quote, Is the sole reason for preaching to bring the good news of salvation in every message? Is it not possible for preaching to address the believer and call for a response in light of the teaching of God's word on ethics, morals, and an exemplary lifestyle? One need only note how prevalent in our culture today are the issues of dishonesty and marital unfaithfulness and divorce and domestic violence with its resulting physical abuse, drug abuse, unruly children, submission to peer pressure, financial mismanagement, and forms of entrapment in society and the church itself to realize how relevant the Proverbs are that cover these issues. In other words, he's saying, yes, the gospel is important, but there's lots of important details. There's a reason that Ephesians 5 talks about how a husband and wife need to treat each other. These issues cry out for courageous proclamation and biblical instruction. We are never commanded to preach Christ, but we are commanded to preach the word. Preaching only Christ may also distort the Trinity. Listen to what Abner Chow says. He writes, concentrating on Christ alone can cause one to neglect the discussion, discussing the Father and the Spirit, and distort the gospel, which the Christocentric movement desires to proclaim. We are to proclaim the Trinity. Next. Avoid the temptation to allegorize. That is, finding some kind of hidden pictures that really is pointing to Christ. I gave the final example there, number five. Joshua's defeat of the Amalekites in Exodus 17 is not a picture of Christ's defeat of sin on the cross. Now, Christ did defeat, Christ did defeat sin on the cross. But that's not the point of Exodus 17. So careful not to allegorize, which was common in some of the patristics, the early church fathers, when they preached. Letter F. Use the New Testament to help you understand the meaning of the Old Testament. This does not mean the New Testament changes the meaning of the Old Testament. Rather, it unveils the final implications and ramifications of what it meant. How can we possibly say that people, when they read Genesis 3.15, knew exactly what that meant? We, We can't possibly fully understand 
what Genesis 3.15 means until we have the New Testament. And I would even say, we can't even understand all the implications of the New Testament without the Old Testament. We need it all. It's a unit. The Old Testament is interpreted from the perspective of the New because Jesus came to fulfill the law. Meaning he came to reveal its full meaning and bring it to consummation. This is what Augustine said, quote, The new, that is the New Testament, is the old contained. The old is the new explained. Or you could say it this way, The grace of God's salvation in Christ is in the old, concealed, but in the new, revealed. So Christ should be preached from the Old Testament, but I would say primarily from the New Testament. So we ought to preach from the Old Testament. But I do think that the majority of the preaching. If a man wants to be a Christ-centered preaching. He ought to focus more on the New Testament than the Old Testament. Although he ought to preach from both. Why would I say that? Number one, Christ is ubiquitous in the New Testament. That means he's everywhere. Of the 260 chapters comprising the New Testament. Christ is found in 251, which amounts to 96.5% of the New Testament. Christ can be found in every chapter in 23 of the 27 New Testament books. Only nine New Testament chapters do not refer directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's going to be much easier to preach Christ from the New Testament. Christ was constantly preached in the New Testament. And we would say, as Hebrews 8 and Colossians 2 tells us, the Old Testament is a shadow of the New Testament. Next, number seven, be encouraged you are following biblical examples. So if you say, I'm preaching Christ, is this right? Yes, because the biblical examples constantly preach Christ. Paul's habit was to preach Christ from the Old Testament. Isaiah in chapter 53 points to Christ like no other passage, Old Testament passage, even though it was written 700 years before the birth of Christ. Stephen demonstrated that Jesus is the Messiah in Acts 7. Paul preached Christ. Philip preached Christ. And then finally, happily use biblical characters as godly examples to follow. And the reason why I put that in there is because I've read some books that say, uh, that, that um, rebuke a kind of moralism in preaching. So they'll say, uh, hey, don't, don't go to man and follow man's example. Your sermon should be, be like Adam. Uh, and so they, they almost go to the extreme and say, don't even look at those examples. And I would say, no. It is possible to be moralistic in our preaching, uh, be like David, not like Saul. That's the big idea. We should be moralistic like that. Uh, but at the same time, the Bible gives us biographies. Hebrews 11 gives us biographies of those men to be like them. Imitate their faith. Alright, well let me just close with this. Three practical ways to improve at Christ-centered preaching. If you want to get better at this, if you struggle, you're in a particular passage that's not focused on Christ perhaps, and you struggle at this. Let me give you three ways. Number one, 
Know your Bible well by reading it constantly. Constantly read your Bible so that you can make these connections. Just today I was reading Communion with God by John Owen. And he gives this quote. He says, Christ so loves his people that he sings with joy over them. And then he gives this as a cross-reference. How many of you could do this? He gives this as a cross-reference Zephaniah 3.17. Oh, that was just, I mean, that was right there. I was just about to give that passage. Zephaniah 3.17? That's exactly right. It's the perfect passage. Quote, the Lord your God, that's Yahweh, that's Christ, is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Look, if you go to tools... Even Treasury of Scripture Knowledge, I didn't look it up, but I'm doubting Treasury of Scripture Knowledge had that down. You only come to Zephaniah 3 if you know your Bible really, really well. And this is why we've made this and this one twice. Cross-references, because it's so important. Linking your passage, references. Know your Bible. Make connections. When preaching through 1 Kings 8... For example, you're reading about the dedication of the temple. You're, you are in the dedication of the temple, and Pastor Nilungu says, how do I get to Christ when he's dedicating the temple? And you say, ah, but in my Bible reading, I've just been reading how Jesus' body was compared to the temple. Or how Christian believers are compared to a temple in 1 Corinthians 3. That would just be one example. All right, this is a great, here's, here's another one. Suppose you're going through 2 Samuel, and I know some of you have recently preached through 2 Samuel. I got this example from David Jones. He was showing all the similarities between David and Jesus, and specifically between their betrayers, Ahithophel and Judas. Let me give a few of these. Both David and Jesus crossed the Kidron. 2 Samuel 15, John 18. Both Ahithophel and Judas planned to betray at night. Two passages. Both hang themselves afterwards. Both David and Jesus prayed for deliverance on the Mount of Olives. Both deaths of David and Jesus brought peace to the people. Ironically, the death of these great men brought peace. Now, some of these things are going to be hard, difficult to find in books. But man, when you know your Bible... And you can make those connections. It's going to help you be a Christ-centered preacher. So know your Bible well. Number two, mimic the preachers of Scripture, especially Paul. A couple things to consider. Because I really think Paul is an example of almost whatever he dealt with, he found a way to bring it to Christ. I gave a few examples. Hey, you got divisions in the church. What does divisions in the church have to do with? Christ. Paul ran to Christ. And what does he say? 1 Corinthians 1. Is Christ divided? What? That's a great example. He went to Christ right away. Ah, but Paul, there's immorality in your church. Paul says, I'm running to Christ. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Purge out the old leaven. So how does he deal with immorality in church? He says, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are in leaven. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Oh, but Paul, 
Don't you know that there is sexual temptation in the church? Paul says, run to Christ. 1 Corinthians 6.11 And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Ah, but Paul, there's all kinds of problems in our marriages, in our churches. Husbands are being harsh with their wives. Paul says, run to Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let her see that's... Oh no, okay, that's right. Uh, and then mimic Jesus Christ. Mimic Jesus Christ as well, not only Paul, but the greatest preacher who ever preached is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was so filled with the Spirit that everyone had to make a decision. I either will love Him or I will hate Him. There was no neutrality when hearing Christ preach. Indeed, no one ever spoke like this man, John 7. And then finally, I would say, mimic the best preachers in church history. Uh, Read Chrysostom. You can get Chrysostom's sermons. They're going to be 1,700 years old. Somehow you're going to be able to get your hands on some of his sermons. Luther, Calvin, George Whitfield. You can Google them. Find how they went to Christ. Read the Puritans. And how they went to Christ. Read Samuel Rutherford's letters. How quick he was to find the beauty and the excellency of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, our eighth principle today is redemption. Which is focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ.